This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Fred Rogers once said, you can't help but love someone once you've heard their story. I think many people would agree with this statement, but not many have had the courage to live into the tension of these words. Dylan Marin is that exception. For those of you who don't know Dylan, one of the most important things to know is that he receives a lot of hate messages on the internet. A lot of them. He's no stranger to the underbelly of the internet that a lot of us try to forget exists. The long list of nasty YouTube comments, unforgiving Facebook posts, and tweets that we would all cringe to read out loud. We all know and have seen these in our daily social media feeds all too frequently. And now, more than ever, we are no strangers to seeing cruelty all over the web. As a writer, performer, and videomaker whose work focuses mainly on social justice issues like race, sexuality, and privilege, Dylan has learned how to take hateful comments to his work online and turn them into productive conversations offline. A complicated and sometimes hilarious navigation of two strangers getting to know each other. In fact, you might have heard about Dylan's new podcast. It's called Conversations with People Who Hate Me, and it is exactly that. It is Conversations with People Who Hate Him. I've personally been intrigued and inspired by Dylan's work for a long time now, and because I'm someone who's grappled with this idea of how to respond to the internet hate that I receive, I was just eager to bring him on and learn from his story. I am Brandon Harvey, and this is Sounds Good, the weekly podcast where we have conversations with inspiring people who are rejecting cynicism and using their lives to make an impact. I am really excited about this conversation, so let's just jump straight into it. Dylan, oh my gosh, it is so good to be talking with you today. I'm a huge fan of you and your work and your new podcast. And so I'm just so excited that we get to talk today. Oh my God, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here in this digital space where we're floating in people's ears, you know? Yes, it's the best. Who knows what people are doing right now? Maybe they're exercising, <laughs> maybe they're showering after exercising, maybe they're grocery shopping. Driving, uh, walking, um, <laughs> on public transportation. There's a lot of options here. Yeah. I Hello to all of you, wherever you may be. Um, I'm proud of you. You're a good human. <laughs> uh, we were talking before the podcast started that uh, we have a mutual friend in Johnny Sun, who's uh, wonderful. I love He's been Johnny. on the podcast. I love that you two know each other because you are doing largely the same thing on the internet. You're filling the world with meaningful conversations and a sense of joy and purpose, but you're doing so in completely different ways. And I love that. Oh, yeah. I mean, I first of all, that's a huge honor if you say that Johnny and I are doing anything similar. <laughs> I really admire him, so I will take any compliment I can get that aligns me with him. Yeah, I mean, I think... Um, it's funny to hear you say that just because I think the output of what we do is just so different. Um, but I, I also think that like I had just this, I, um, 
he hosted he he moderated a speaking gig that I had and and we had this like it was just one of the most incredible public speaking engagements I ever had because you had this person who really was coming at it from this place of understanding and I just think he is brilliant. I think Johnny is like truly a genius and uh I love that the output, his work, is just so accessible and so um, it's not muddied uh, with like intellectualism. It's yeah. like he, he filters his genius into making something really accessible for people to kind of consume. And I think that that's the depth of great art is taking a really, really complex idea and he understands things so deeply. And then he figures out a way to communicate that in a tweet with like three misspellings or in a book with a drawing of an alien in, in 14 words. You know, it's unreal. Yeah, he, he's great at that. Man. Uh, along those lines, you know, I, I want to jump back to when you first started creating things intentionally for public consumption. Like you make social justice videos largely. That's a huge part of what you do, among other things. Um, but do you remember the first social justice video that you ever made? Or, you know, if there's something else that preempted that, you know, what did that look like? I suppose I got my start. I mean, now we're going way back. But like in college, what really blew my mind is I was I was learning how to kind of write and do sketch comedy. I was part of a sketch comedy group. And um, what I loved most about that was not the comedy element, but that you're taking very difficult things and talking about them in a really accessible, disarming way, right? So that was like the core of what really drew me to sketch comedy. Also, I got to work with people I love and make people laugh, you know, but like, but I never, I don't know, it's it's weird and, and kind of funny to say out loud, but like, I was never a comedy nerd, you know, I was never the like, oh, yeah, like, how to punch up jokes and like, let's make them laugh. I'm just looking for the laughs. It was like, I was more a nerd for community (laughs) and like, um, and getting messages across to people. I mean, also at the same time, like humor, meaning my own brand of humor, not like comedy with a capital C was like, um, a saving grace for me. That was like kind of sometimes what I cling to in, in, in a more insecure in in my more insecure years in middle school and high school. Um, so sketch comedy kind of blended those together, but uh, sketch comedy, if we want to get like annoyingly intellectual about it, it's like, it's an abstraction of the world. Um, and that's, I guess, essentially what literally all art is. It's an abstraction of the world, um, but it's super accessible and you get to, you know, take what hurts you and and turn it into some really cool things. So I suppose the the seed of sketch comedy and sketch follows me throughout all my work, even though it has like evolved into many different things, right? But when I first started doing public digital work was when I made a series called Every Single Word, and um, which is short for Every Single Word Spoken by a Person of Color, where I edited down popular Hollywood movies to only the words spoken by people of color. And this is such a good series and blog and and video series and some of these videos are literally 10 seconds long like they're so short and some have no dialogue some it's truly like um 
you know, the titles come up and then it ends, like Into the Woods. Not a single person of color speaks or sings in that movie. But that grew out of a very painful thing, right? That was like, the fact was that my career felt like it was moving and starting to take off. I was um, on Welcome to Night Vale. I had just written and directed a play that was nominated for a Drama Desk Award, which is a, you know, respected theater award here in New York City. Um, and, and it's kind of like the highest award you can hope for, for off Broadway. Um, and I was like, oh my God, you know what? I'm going to get an agent. So I had, I was having all these meetings with agents and they would tell me how talented I was, but how unlikely I was to get work. And I really didn't understand how those ideas fit together. You know, um, what do you mean I'm talented, but, but then I won't get work. And then what I realized was, oh, what they mean is these are agents that they mean no malice by it, but they are beholden to the ebbs and flows of the industry. And in the industry, there is much less on-camera work for people, quote unquote, like me, which means that there are so many more opportunities in the industry going to, you know, straight white people. Now, of course, listeners in this show, the, the people we referred to earlier on who are somewhere in their magical day <laughs> might be thinking, that's not true. There are gay people and that's not true. There are Latino people. But, and, and you're right, that is true, but um, it's not fully representational and um, the intersections of both of those communities are definitely not represented. Uh, and I, and I say this frequently, but like the privilege of white representation in media is nuance. You know, Jason Bateman can have a career alongside Jason Sudeikis, even though they're incredibly like similar on the forefront because they have the privilege of showing the fact that they are like nuanced people who are different. Right. But there's this other thing in media where if there is one other brown person, you're like, well, we've already got our brown person, so no more brown people, right? And it's like, that is what makes you you. Yeah, you don't um, get to be or, anything more than that. You don't right, get the right, nuance. Right, right, And Or like, oh, well, we already have a queer person, so we have that you know, experience covered. We Checked don't need off another. the list. Exactly. So that is what you are, right? Like, you, you, are, you are beholden to your identities. And I wanted to kind of filter all of this uh, anger, confusion, disappointment into something more accessible. I could have made, you know, a direct-to-camera video rant of me talking about these issues, even pre-written, making them really uh, smart and concise. But it's like, how do you show and not tell? You know, how do you abstract this hurt and pain that you're feeling and put it into something that people can consume? And, you know, the, the one comment I got so many times about every single word is that people were telling me how hilarious these videos were. Like, they're so funny. You know, it's so funny that you, like, start a movie into the woods, you start hearing the chorus sing into the woods, and then, boom, it's out, right? Um, it's fun. It's, it is quote-unquote funny when you see, I don't know, a movie like Her, Spike Jones's movie with Joaquin Phoenix, and it's like truly like it's six characters and they all mean nothing to the story. You know, it's like the waiter here and the secretary here and the background person here. And when you put these lines together, you're like, these are shells of humans. These aren't even shells of humans. They're like scraps of shells of humans. So when people were telling me like they found it so funny, I was like, that's perfect because that's how you get in. 
you get into people's minds by kind of making it accessible. Yeah, and it, you'd kind of had that experience in the world of sketch comedy because you're able to use it because it's an abstraction. Exactly. So that's why it's so hard to like immediately respond to things you're going through um, in an abstract way. Um, it, whereas like, you know, I think more productive when you're in the middle of something to kind of like put words to your feelings, right? This is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm wrestling with. And this is a hard time I'm going through. And I think it's only as it like begins to move through your body, can you begin to um, abstract that feeling? Wow. That is, that's really thoughtful and interesting. I've never thought of it like that. Yeah. There's one thing I want to add, which is that uh, what happened at the end of college and the reason I moved back to New York City um, was that I had written a play with a friend of mine and it was called Ridgefield Middle School Talent Night. And uh, we were getting opportunities to perform it in the city. And again, this like definitely files as comedy, right? People were like, oh my God, it's laugh out loud. I laughed every moment. And we, you know, recently had a run at the UCB here in New York City. And it's great that people call it comedy, but like that doesn't pass through my body as comedy, right? That's like the pain of middle school being manifested in an accessible way. Um, and that took a while too, right? I wrote that in college about, uh, what's that, like eight years after those experiences. So that's the overarching goal in my work is to be... Um, kind of turning, actively turning pain into productivity and specifically accessible messaging, you know? And that's really interesting to think about because, and we're going to get to this in a little bit, but you put so much of these things out into the world and they're deeply meaningful and deeply personal and, and, and stemming from personal pain or injustice or you know, things that are just wrong with the world and, and you put them out in the world and especially on the internet and you've gotten a number of terrible comments, a number of terrible responses to these things. And that's where things get really hard because it's not just that somebody's attacking a piece of art you made, they're attacking a piece of your story that you put into art. Do you remember the very first time that you had something on the internet that started to blow up outside of your circle, you know, your, your, your bubble of people who, who shared this experience and needed to see this experience and, and, you know, it added value to their lives in a way that was, was really tangible. And all of a sudden other people were grabbing onto it and they weren't holding it as gently as everybody else. Yeah, I, I do. I, I think the first time I experienced that was with every single word. And I was putting all these videos on YouTube and, and they were really blowing up because they were getting a lot of press coverage. So people would write vicious, like, it almost feels like a, an explosion of every racist thought they've ever had, you know, underneath these videos. Good news is my face wasn't on it. So they didn't really have a person to direct their anger to, you know, it was just kind of like, pushing it out into the ether. I would say the first time I really started to experience this is um, when I started working for the digital TV channel, Seriously TV. And I had my first viral video there uh, was something called a rant against the anti-millennial rant. And uh, basically it was like a response video to this woman who had gotten in her car and recorded herself talking about why 
millennials, of which she was one, were, you know, such a bad generation and disrespectful and kind of all the very typical things that you, you know, we all hear about millennials. And I, I, I made a response video to her and over the weekend that just like blew up, right? It, it like, um, this was Memorial Day weekend 2016. Just like the amount of people that had no shame in attacking every part of who I was, was interesting and kind of surprising to me. And then as I started making the unboxing series, that's that's like when it really kind of came to a head. That was a s- series, and, and then I guess for your viewers, just to, to let them know, um, I made a series, like you know those um, YouTube videos where popular YouTubers unbox like the <laughs> Xbox and yeah. iPhones? And, yeah. yeah. So I satirized that by unboxing intangible ideologies mm. as if they were electronic gadgets. <laughs> like uh, I've seen a bunch of these. These are so right, good. Right. So ideologies like uh, privilege and the mistreatment of Native Americans and um, Islamophobia and things like that, right? Um, to kind of abstract that idea that like, yeah, these are products that we all buy into um, or not we all, but many people buy into these products. So let's review them as if they're products. Yeah. So, so I just got a ton of, of hate for that, especially as it got more and more popular and every week more and more people were tuning in to watch. And I, I didn't even know how, no one gives you a rule book for this, right? And <laughs> companies, especially like companies who employ people like it's not yet a thing that they know how to like handle or deal yeah. with there's no rule book yet even though there very much needs to be one but uh i was just getting like a ton of fan messages which i just want to be clear that it sounds like all i get is hate messages <laughs> a ton of fan messages but also a significant number of like hate messages and it wasn't like what I wish online criticism were, which is, I disagree with these points you made, and let's dialogue about it, right? Yeah. That would be like, That'd oh, be the cool, dream. I can grow, yeah. Yes. Um, this is like, you are a faggot, you are the most hideous, worst thing I've ever seen in my life, um, and let me attack every part of your uh, physical appearance to make a point that I disagree with something you said in your video. <laughs> Right. Yeah. And it was just, it was a lot. It was a, it was a lot to handle. And so I, I really like, I didn't know what to do. Like, what is the most productive thing to do? Do I respond? Well, I don't, there are not even enough hours in the day to respond to all of these messages. Um, just as unfortunately there are definitely not enough hours in the day to respond to all the fan messages. And I feel bad about that because I want to like, thank everyone but um i guess it's a fortunate position to be in but i but there's there's not time for that so it's like okay this is a reality that is happening in my inbox but it's also a reality that's happening in comment sections around the internet you know how do i turn this into something else i do not want to engage in this like let me repost this publicly shame you and rip you apart for what you said you know just because, uh, where, whereas I very much understand why people do that, I don't think it's productive. Yeah, right? it like, doesn't solve the problem. It makes you feel better, for sure, and you can't discount that. But it, I mean, maybe it makes you feel better. I'm not, I'm not really fully sure about that. 
but it doesn't solve the deeper problem there. Yeah. It doesn't solve the problem. I, I also don't want to like police people on how they deal with the trauma of getting hate mail. Like I, I think that's not, I'm not in, in, in a position to do that. So, but I am in a position to say what I want to do with it, which is that I believe that it is great for retweets to troll someone who trolled you, but are they they going to change because of that, you know? Or are they going to listen? Or are you going to listen? Or what is your goal, you know? So I guess I wanted to carve out a space in the internet where we were actually having nuanced conversations um, and and this is what led to creating conversations with people who hate me. And I, I really want to talk about this. I love this because I remember seeing the trailer for your show, Conversations with People Who Hate Me, and I was immediately sold. I loved it. Uh, it was so engaging and, and thought-provoking, and, and it made me wonder, you know, what would that be like? And I've been fortunate enough to listen to a few of your episodes that haven't come out yet. And so I'm a little bit ahead, which makes me feel really awesome. And I have been so hooked. It is so, so good. The conversations you're having are not just interesting and not just, I don't know, it kind of makes me cringe thinking about myself doing that. But they're also, I don't know if the right word is heartwarming, you know, but it's like there's at least the episodes I've heard so far there's a sense of connection that happens that I think it's really beautiful. And and you specifically talk about this idea of taking hateful comments on the internet and turning them into productive conversations offline. And I love that idea of going from something that is like one-way negativity to productive two-way conversations. And so let's dive into this a little bit further. Before we get into the actual like show, I do want to talk about what your strategy with dealing with hateful comments before you even like think about having a conversation on your show, what that looks like. Because I personally get a good amount of hateful comments. Nowhere near where uh, other people, yourself probably included, get. But, you know, I've got a video going around about me right now that's it's a wonderful, really kind video made by like a really cool production crew about me and some recent projects I've been working on. But it ended up getting, you know, I think it's like 8 million views at this point. And the comments are are pretty rough. There's, of course, some really amazing comments, uh, but there's some rough ones. Um, and so I, for years, have been just trying to figure out how to find this balance because generally I try to just not read the comments because they're so, they can take up so much space in your head you know, they naturally just scientifically are going to like hold on to so much more real estate that it's not even worth letting them in because then I've got to deal with kicking them out. But when I do, I try to dismiss kind of the, the negative comments as people that are just outside of my reach. There's nothing I can do about them. But sometimes I try to engage and I choose to engage. And sometimes it's a really meaningful experience and sometimes it goes nowhere or things get worse. But so I, I would love to dive into your strategy when you when you get comments. You know, the first thing is, do you read the comments when they show up? Great question. I do. Well, I used to. I used to read the comments and you, you put it so, so well. They take up so much real estate in your brain and take so much energy to kick them out. 
And it, I just soon realized that like, I could get 20 messages telling me how much this person loved my work. I just discovered your work. I love it. I'm a teacher. I'm using your videos in my class. Uh, what you're doing is inspiring me. I could get 20 of those. And if I get one message that tells me how stupid and awful I am, all of those other messages are wiped away and I only focus on that one. You know, they're just louder. So I think like I had to like kind of tune them out and realize like, okay, that's, that's not it. But at the same time, like I didn't only want to be focusing on messages that were like, you're the best, (laughs) you know, like I want that dialogue. I want that discourse. And I guess the way I saw it was I was getting people who ideologically are so opposed to me right into my inbox, right? They were like coming right up to my digital front porch and they were there. And I felt like, well, I can ignore them and feel much better about it. Or I can see who among these people I feel safe with and try and engage a conversation with them. Mm. Yeah, because obviously some of these people are not safe enough that you can respond. You know, no, and I, I do want to be super clear that I don't pursue people who have threatened physical violence against me, and I don't pursue people who have sent me death threats. That is something they need to work out on their own, and I'm not going to be part of that. You know, you can be very nasty without kind of threatening physical violence or death, right? Like you can say very nasty things about someone, which, you know, many people uh, contend is is protected by our First Amendment. And I'm I'm no constitutional expert, but I actually I, I think unfortunately, you know, that's that's a claim that they can use because because it is, right? Like if if they're not threatening physical violence. I, I'm people who are listening to this, please research this. I'm not the final source. Um, but yeah, that's that's something that's claimed a lot. So I saw these people who are sending me these messages as an opportunity. That started to happen. Like that that switch kind of clicked over. I was like, oh, these are people who want to talk. Someone who who I actually wanted to get for for my podcast, he immediately kind of shied away. But his first message to me was, you and all your SJW friends are a waste of oxygen, right? And I messaged him right away, and I said, why? And all of a sudden, he got so surprised, and, and he started kind of like taking it back and going back and forth and saying like, well, I, I didn't mean you. I just meant like some of the people you were talking to. And hey, listen, I shouldn't have opened with that. And I think that that is true for humans, right? Like it is so easy to say something with a keyboard. You send it, you send it to people, and you're done. It's the same psychology we were talking about if I were to just screenshot these people and make fun of something they said. You know, like that is easy. That makes me feel good. And I understand why I would do that because it is the psychological, you know, next step to kind of protecting your brain from being too hurt by it. I totally get it. When we are engaged in conversation, when we're face-to-face, when we're even voice-to-voice, when we're even uh, someone chatting us back, you know, we are so different. And I think we are more like who we actually are, right? We can, we can suspend ownership and we can suspend our ability to 
back our claims up when we're questioned on them and we immediately soften, right? We're like, oh, well, maybe I shouldn't have said that, you know? And I I don't want to like, I'm so wary that in this podcast, I'm going to be um, I like kind of like standing on a holy mountain and being like, and I am the best at this and <laughs> everyone learn from me. Like it takes one to know one, you know? I know that it's easier to make a barb about someone um, than it is to talk to someone about it. And I think I've, you know, kind of been very careful to not do this online, but I do it in person, you know, like when I was younger, like you, you say things about other people that you would never say to their face. And if they were in the room, you wouldn't say them. And that's like something I'm not proud of, but it's a reality that I can't ignore. The psychology of the internet is the same thing. All of my guests don't think that I would read or see what they wrote about me. Yeah. There's a real human on the other side of that interaction. Exactly. Exactly. So like, I just feel like it's so interesting to take these very funny um, ends to the conversation and then turn it into a conversation. People are kind of taken aback by it. Yeah, let's talk about this. So when you start each conversation, what are you trying to do and what are you not trying to do? I know that you said that this is not a debate. You're not trying to like win an argument and you're also not trying to shut people down. You know, what else are you being intentional about doing and not doing? So um, the intention is simply to start a conversation, right? And that conversation starts with me asking, why did you send that? That is basically like, all right, once you plant the seed, where does it grow? Where does the conversation go? How does it evolve? My goal, I would be very misguided if I thought in 30 minutes, you know, or in however long I talk to these people, if in the course of the conversation I'm going to radically undo decades of their thinking about the world, you know, I'm flattering myself and I am ignoring the reality of what uh, time is, you know? But if I just say like, all right, I just want to hear their story. I want to hear why they think this and I want to hear why they sent it. And if they're down, I want to tell them about me and why I think the way I do. I don't think when I hang up the phone, they they have different beliefs. I do think when they hang up the phone, they're like, oh, a human read what I wrote just now. You know, um, a human read what I wrote and I didn't think they were going to read it. But I, I don't mean to say that I'm like, I am mightier and I am educating them. No, it's like I'm a person too. And I'm just like a person who, who makes videos on the internet and, and I'm a writer, performer, and, and the, I share my beliefs through my work. So, so people, you know, have feelings about that. So, and what I don't want it to be is I don't want it to be a debate. I don't want it to be a shutting down. I don't want it to be a space where, they feel unsafe or or they feel that they're being misrepresented. I work very painstakingly hard to make sure that first they know that I'm not going to set them up in a trap. And many people who I pursued for this podcast, many were immediately interested. And then a few days later told me, actually, I've thought about it. And I think this is an elaborate setup and you're going to trap me. 
And sometimes they would block me before I had the ability to be like, hey, do you want to just wait to hear the first episode so yeah. I can prove to you that that's not what this is? Yeah. How do you communicate that when you first reach out to somebody? How do you even like pitch the idea? It's so hard. I mean, I just tell them, you know, especially before the podcast started, like, hey, I'm starting an interview interview series where I speak with people who wrote me messages like these. Would you be interested in being part of it? I'm so thankful that the podcast is out now because I have to do so much less of the work of convincing them that this is not a trap, you know? But what what I always offered them is like I said, well, we can have an off-the-record phone call for uh before and we can talk as long as you want i can be on the phone for four hours with you and you can kind of ask me over and over again why i'm doing this project why you why we're talking so you can hear in my voice that i'm not like setting you up right and then some people take that opportunity there was this one guy who i was on the phone with for two hours we had an incredible conversation he seemed super excited to do it and then I think he got scared and he blocked me on Facebook because he, he no longer – and I, we had scheduled a time to talk together. And he pulled out at the last minute. And it's like, oh, you know, that, that's all right. I also think people are very scared when they have to be accountable for things they wrote. So, yeah. so I think there's that too. I would feel exactly the same way. Yeah, like I, to be fair, like – and it's interesting, like I have like – I'm developing such a respect for my guests. I mean, I respect them naturally because they're human beings. But I mean, like, when I see all of the people who I reach out to and I'm like, hey, you posted this very nasty public thing about me. Do you want to talk about it on my podcast, which is also public? And they're like, oh, no, I don't want to. And it's like, well, you shouldn't have written that, you know? <laughs> like, So what that has done is that I have this weird respect for the people who are like, yeah, I wrote it and I'm willing to talk to you about it. Yeah, I'm willing to own up to to a nasty thing I wrote and be a big person by being like, either I'm sorry or I'm sorry that I worded it that way, but I still feel that way. Like that's a fascinating thing that that happens in almost every call. I stand by the core of the sentiment. I don't stand by the way I said it. And it's like that I also love because you're like, oh, I'm glad you still believe that. Now we can have a conversation about why you believe that and how we might be different, you know, how we might see the world differently. But at the same time, like that's that's a person I will always admire, a person who's like, listen, I messed up and I'm sorry, um, but also let me kind of stand true to who I am. Do I also like have you know, an immense amount of love and respect for the people who are like, you know, you are actually making me see things a little differently. So thank you for considering this. Yeah, of course, I, I have great respect for them. But um, just seeing the people who don't want to take ownership for the things they wrote publicly, there, there was one person who like very publicly just decided to really just drag me. And it's someone who I share mutual friends with. And he was interested at first, and then he, he pulled out soon before we were supposed to record. And it's like, oh, you know what, dude? Like, don't publicly post that again then. You know? Like, you're welcome to publicly post it if you're down to publicly own up to it. It seems like you're being very selective in how you share your opinions. Um, and it, it seems like you're totally down to, to drag me if you think it's going to get likes and, and shares for you. 
But now suddenly the very person who you had such strong opinions about wants to have a, a, an earnest conversation with you and you're too scared. Like, I'm sorry, dude, but don't post then. Just share it privately with your friends of how awful I am. If you don't mind, I'd love to talk about the conversation you had with a guy named Josh. Josh is a senior in high school, I think. Uh, at the time of recording, he was two weeks from graduating. Now he has graduated. Yeah, that was it. Do you remember what he said? What his what his comment was, or what the gist of it was? He said that I was the reason this country is dividing itself, uh, which was largely about the media. And um, he he tacked on that being gay was a sin. Oh yeah, he just he just kind of threw that on like as a little P.S. And you get on the phone with this guy, and you really quickly start to. I think unlock the power of empathy for, for both of you in a really unique way because you ask him how high school is for him. And this is in the trailer, but he says, am I allowed to use the H-E double hockey sticks word? And you're like, yes, you're allowed. And he's like, school is absolute hell. Yeah, it was hell, yeah. And you start to dive into, uh, you know, why is it hell? And he starts to share that he gets bullied at school. And all of a sudden, this is kind of, at least for me, it was this light bulb moment of, oh, wow, like he's being bullied and, and somehow, you know, the, the idea of hurt people hurt people is coming back around and, and it's hitting you. Yeah. Well, Josh is, is kind of a special case. You know, Josh is someone who I had publicly shared what he had written to me back in January. And he got in touch with me, having seen that I shared it. And we had an hour-long conversation together. It was that conversation that was huge for me because I was like, oh my God, I wish I were recording this. Like, this is fascinating because it's like we're, pe- we're just two people talking to each other, you know? So I have a great amount of respect for Josh. Josh is very young and Josh is also very aware Josh is, like all of us, um, a product of the influences in his life. I mean, that's like the most obvious thing to say about all humans. We are all the product of our influences, right? But Josh, Josh is a good guy. Yeah, he wrote something not nice to me, but I'm much more concerned with, with how he talks to me about what he wrote than what he, literally a choice he made in 20 seconds one day, you know? So I think he's, he's a really good guy. And, and I really value the, the conversation we had together. Um, he's in high school, you know, he's, you know, he's, he's 18. So he's uh, an adult. So we were able to get his consent to record, but a conversation like the one I had with Josh is like the reason I'm doing this show um, does Josh now suddenly agree with everything that I believe in? No, but that's not the goal. The goal is that I got to talk to Josh and Josh got to talk to me and we got to talk to each other and I got to hear where he's from and, and, and how, where he's from influences who he is. That's fascinating. That's a really cool thing. You know, a, a lot of this podcast is, is inspired by that Mr. Rogers quote, you can't help but love someone once you hear their story. And I feel like that's true. And I love that you could have just dismissed his comments and, and thought this is a terrible human being. You know, like why would, why would a good human being 
write this thing. And when you're able to recognize for yourself, and, th- and this is where things get so crazy because it's like you were the person who was hurt by him leaving the comment. And he didn't recognize that there was a human on the other side of the keyboard. But there's something powerful about the fact that you you got the opportunity to recognize that there was a human on the other side of that. And and Josh is, has said some things that are hurtful and hateful, but he's still a human being. And, you, you know, you might even be able to hang out with him and have a good time. And I think that's what's powerful about your show is it's so connective. And it would be amazing if we could all live into this ourselves. It feels like the the time that we're living in right now, we're all a little bit accidentally and intentionally retreating into our own little echo chambers surrounded by people who only agree with us. And in a time like that, like, why do you think that conversations like these are so important? And are you hopeful that by having conversations like these things can change? Or is it, is it, is it smaller than that and more nuanced than that? This podcast and these conversations are, are only the beginning I am not going to change the election results of 2016 by posting a podcast, (laughs) you know? Um, I am also not going to change the very real and fraught racial dynamics that are happening in this country. I'm not going to undo systemic racism. I am not going to undo institutional sexism. Um, misogyny is still here, no matter how much of a nuanced conversation I have with someone who thinks misogyny doesn't exist. We need to begin having these conversations because we need to begin listening to each other, even the people who we are so at odds with. And I also want to be clear that this is not me demanding that everyone go and have this conversation. I have the privilege of having this conversation because of my platform. If I were in high school and I were being cyberbullied as I was, I would not do this project, right? Like, that's a, that's a, that was a very different time for me. I would not feel safe to be like, oh, okay, I'll just have a conversation with someone and it won't go anywhere. Okay, fuck, that's terrifying. I am not braver than anyone else for doing this. I am not better than anyone else for doing this. I'm just the one who's doing it. Um, and I, I also, just to be clear, I don't think I'm the only one who is having difficult conversations. I'm the one who's doing it on, you know, as a show. Um, and my goal is to grow this show so that it's beyond just me, but um, that I'm, I'm including other voices in it. I really believe that we got to this political point in history by millions of people ending conversations with, well, I don't want to get political, right? Because we are so averse to having difficult conversations about politics. We're like, oh, well, let's just keep it nice and fun and let's not get into politics. And it's like, yeah, but that's what got us here, right? What got us here is actually we don't know how to talk to people who have any kind of different views than us. And we do, and the what, what we call those kinds of conversations are debates. And it's like, well, this is a kind of radical idea. What if we don't debate? And also, what if that doesn't mean that you're agreeing with them? Like, I'm trying to, like, kind of do a lot with this podcast, but, but that's the core of what I'm trying to do. I think that's really beautiful. How are you doing emotionally in the midst of all of these sometimes intense and personal conversations, is it 
healthy or is it is it unhealthy and you've got to you know seek health in other ways? What does that even look like? I can't imagine. Okay, so a lot of people have asked me if I'm practicing self-care, and I sort of bristle at that because I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, self-care, that's for the people who who are doing the hard work and who really need self-care. You know, that that's not for me. And then I'm like, oh, well, why do I have an anxiety attack, like, hours after all of these conversations, right? And And I don't want to suggest I have an anxiety attack because of my guests. What I'm saying is that Like the conversation itself is the least stressful part. I have them on the phone and it's a human talking to a human. I I truly enjoy that part, right? The anxiety inducing part of it, um, the overwhelming part is everything outside of it. You know, like are these people impulsively agreeing to be on this show? and, And can I take the time to explain to them, like, I don't want, you know, like, the internet is a place where a lot of people will have opinions about you, even if it's just your voice. You know, I take big efforts to make sure that they are as anonymous as they want to be. They can blur, you know, up to distorting their voice, right? They can distort their voice if they want. They can choose a name that isn't their name. And they can talk to me on the phone as long as they want before to make sure that I'm, I'm for real about this. I want to respect my guests, but I also want to respect the issues I'm talking about. If I'm talking about something like Black Lives Matter, a movement to which I am an ally, am I saying it right? Am I affirming that I'm not a black person? I'm speaking as an ally. I'm only speaking as me. I cannot speak for a movement. This is, you know, I'm walking that tightrope of I don't want to give a platform to hate, but I know I, I want to broadcast these difficult conversations. Yeah, it's it's like... That is kind of what like is making my me not sleep. Mm. Um, it's a lot of weight on your shoulders. Exactly. I mean, I'm working with a really amazing team. Um, you know, welcome to Night Vale is producing this, and they they have been very supportive. But part of being very supportive is being like, we totally trust you. Make what you want out of this. Um, I'm working with an amazing executive producer. Her name is Christy Gressman, and she has been you know, just a godsend in terms of, you know, dealing with all of the other complicated things that come with making a podcast that you know well. But um, there's just so much to think about. So I definitely think that when this season is over, I'm going to take a nice long break and and kind of uh, lie in bed and stare at the ceiling for (laughs) days, weeks, months. Um, (laughs) But it's a challenge. Man, I commend you for doing this because I think it's important and beautiful and I think it's helpful and just you know even before this conversation it was challenging the way that I was looking at people responding online and and after this conversation I'm I'm feeling even more encouraged and, and, and reminded to look at the people online as actual human beings on the other side of the keyboard whether it's somebody that I'm disagreeing with and wanting to leave a comment on or somebody who you know, left a a comment on my work. And so as we leave this conversation, as we wrap up, I want to ask, you know, in this time that feels divisive, how can people create a sense of empathy and connection and, and break down this, this stigma of the other, you know, whether they've got a million followers or whether they're just, you know, going home for the holidays to visit their family. You know, what's one tangible action step that people can take? I think sometimes it's as simple as just remembering 
that there's a person on the other side of the screen, that's the first step, right? But the second step, if you want to like kind of try this at home, is I would say sit down with someone and agree that you will both acknowledge that the other person is a human, right? Just that, just that, just that, human, just human, right? Because sometimes uh, the people who have very different views from you have views that actually go against your existence, you know? Um, That's a very complicated thing. And I would say just acknowledge that you're human. You don't have to like have the most epic conversation and, and do not think that you are going to convince the other person of the other side. It's like just as simple as listening, right? Like agree that you will listen to someone if they listen to you. Don't think that you'll win and don't think that they'll win because it's like these conversations aren't television ready, you know, it's it's not like, and they knocked it out and dragged it out and here's the victor, you know? It's kind of like weird and messy and doesn't totally have an end. And and the end is is decades later when someone is like, you know what, You've that conversation radically changed me. But like, you don't get that 45 minutes after picking up the phone. You don't get that 45 minutes after sitting down with your uncle or your cousin or your parent, you know, or your kid. So yeah, just acknowledge you're human and ask why. Start with the why. Start with why they think the way they think. Wow, I hope that you are feeling what I'm feeling right now. Inspired to have hard conversations with people who think differently than I do. I just love this idea that Dylan is so passionate about taking hateful conversations online and turning them into productive conversations offline. I feel we could all benefit from taking something that is so negative and turning it into a healthy two-way conversation. For me, Dylan's conversation emphasizes the very real hurt that hurt people hurt people. It also reminds me that it doesn't have to stay there. Hurt and pain can turn into productivity, perhaps even more so with tools like empathy, connection, and even comedy. We all know that it's hard and can be wildly painful. But when you look at the way that Dylan is seeing the hate we see in the world as an opportunity to grow, you can't help but try to do the same. If you're curious about Dylan's work or resonated with his story, you should absolutely follow him on Twitter and Instagram. But most importantly, you have to check out his podcast, Conversations with People Who Hate Me, that is already a few episodes deep. I have not done my job effectively today. If you're not convinced that this is something you need to subscribe to immediately on Apple Podcasts once you finish this episode today. It's, it's seriously so good. If you're new to our show, Sounds Good, we would love for you to stick around. You'd also totally love my conversations with Leah Nobel, she's a musician, and Frank Warren, the creator of Post Secret, one of the most popular blogs ever created. Both of their work revolves largely around the ideas of empathy, and I think that if you liked this episode, you'll really connect with these ones as well. This podcast is created by me, Brandon Harvey, as a part of Good Good Good. We're a community that believes in the power of celebrating good news and becoming good news. And you can find lots more hopeful stories that we share on social media by following us everywhere at Good 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 Co. We also create a beautiful quarterly newspaper that celebrates the people, ideas, and movements that are changing the world for the better. 
Yes, it is a real newspaper and you can order it today. Check it out and see what else we do at goodgoodgood at goodgoodgood.co. And on that note, that is a wrap for this week's podcast. Go out and do some good this week and we'll be back next week with another inspiring conversation from an incredible person. Sound good?